0: It's not so much that if I make all the right decisions, I'm a good mom, but if I believe I'm a good mom and I lean into my strengths as a human being, and I lean into the fact that I am good and I love my children, I will make the right decisions.
1: Parents are stressed out, and this pressure doesn't just begin the moment that that cute little bundle of joy is placed in our arms, actually the making of parental burnout and overwhelm often starts during pregnancy, or even for some, the moment we start trying to conceive. And that is where Dr. Sterling comes in. Dr. Christine Sterling is a board certified OBGYN, mom of three, and the founder of The Sterling Life. After observing the holes in the healthcare system and the effects of the mental load of pregnancy and parenthood on her patients, Dr. Sterling left her clinical practice and began creating accessible resources to help those who were expecting. If you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, and rushed, it's not your fault. It is the result of a failing system. But in the meantime, while we are living in this system, what can you do to combat that? That is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, I'm so excited guys. We have Dr. Christine Sterling on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm so excited. I've, I've been following along on the work you've been doing for so long and I'm just really excited to have like a conversation with you.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: So, so for people who aren't familiar with your work, can you share a little bit about, you know, what you do and why you're doing it?
0: Yeah. So um, I'm a board certified OBGYN, but I felt very, very incredibly constrained by our current healthcare system. Uh, You know, we are typically allotted about 10 minutes for prenatal appointments and then don't even get me started on postpartum, right? There's like the standard appointment is one appointment at six weeks again for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was just not able to adequately address not only the, the, you know, the questions that my patients had, but the incredible life transformation that they are going through and about to go through. And after I went through it myself, so I had my, my oldest is about to turn six this year. Um, after I went through that experience, I felt a moral obligation to talk to people about postpartum and about that transition to parenthood and all the things that come up because I had such a difficult time. And there were so many privileges that I had in that experience. I mean, I'm an OBGYN. I knew that everything that was going on with me physically was okay. My husband's an ER doctor. He like, I had a, if anything went wrong with our child, he was right there. He could do it. You know what I mean? So I had so many advantages and it was still so hard. So I was like, in these 10-minute appointments, how am I going to prepare people for what it's what's about to happen? And I just could not live with the fact that they were going to be there postpartum and say, Dr. Sterling didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So I started doing this with my patients, started educating them about what, the, what it's like postpartum, how you can prepare during pregnancy, motherhood, all of it. And it was... Um, bananas trying to fit that into 10 minutes. I would just oh, yeah. I, I felt like I was just giving monologues every
1: appointment. Yeah. And it's probably very stressful I imagine to know like I can't do what I feel like needs to be done in this time. Like you know, I feel that and I get I get 45 minute sessions. Like I, I mean, I'm it's it's not always like that's why I do so much psychoeducation because I'm like I can't get Everything in a therapy session that you need to know, like, it's better for me to give you some other stuff to study outside of the session so that we can move things along faster. A hundred percent. And it, to me, it felt
0: like to know what it should look like and to not provide that felt like I would, it was, it was a moral injury, to Mm -hmm. me. And I was, I felt like I was tearing my soul apart. I know that this isn't enough. And yet this is what I have to do. And I'm so glad that there are people in the system fighting within the system to make it better. But personally, I had to exit the healthcare system and solve the, I'm just too impatient. I was like, I can chip away at this system and be 80 years old and be like, I made a difference, but I have friends and there are people right now who are currently pregnant going through this. And I just can't wait to a lifetime to make a dent. So, the, I left my clinical practice in 2019 and moved online and so now I do health education and and support people through this 24/7. That's my full-time job.
1: Yeah. And you're good at it. I like I Thank love <laughs> I love watching your stuff because a lot of it speaks to me. It's so interesting because I know you focus so, you know, intently on pregnancy and postpartum and supporting the transition into parenthood. And I work a lot. I work in that space a little bit, but I also do a lot of work with people kind of like later on, like, you know, as they're in the thick of parenting, but a lot of the themes are very similar, right? Like, The pressure that we put on ourselves for it to be a certain way, for it to feel a certain way, for it to look a certain way, the fear of judgment, the fear of like making one wrong move and everything's destroyed that I've been working on. Like it's scary. And and I don't know that it has to be that scary. So a lot of the work I do is like helping people understand like what's noise and what's actually worth paying attention to. Yeah, And it's a lot less than you think.
0: Yeah, and that starts the reason why it's the same that it feels like the same messages is because it is. Because mm-hmm. all of this pressure and stress and you know we talk about the, you know, the load, the, you know, the mental load of the primary parent, all of that starts from trying to conceive and for some people even before that. Yeah. So the the, the reason why it's the same is because it is the same and that's kind of that is what I will be shouting from the rooftop until I'm a little old lady. I'm actually, I'll never be little. I'm five ten, but you know, <laughs> until I'm an old lady, who's probably shorter than I am now, I'm going to be sh- shouting this from the rooftop. Let's pay pay attention from the very beginning to how we um, navigate this mental and emotional load. Let's be aware of it. Let's talk about it. Let's just bring it out of the shadows and and cool. just acknowledge that just because you can't physically see me doing the work, it's just like pregnancy, right? A lot of the work that we do in pregnancy, you can't physically see. It's incredibly important. Also, it drains our energy. Yes. And, you know, time and energy, these are, these are the most precious resources that we have.
1: Yes. So what do you see as like the biggest impediments for yeah. like feeling that sort of groundedness and confidence and (laughs) equity in like when you're a parent?
0: How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's start. I think we should start with the healthcare system to begin with. Sure. So one of the things I am, I'm addicted to the big picture. Okay. So one of the things that just drives me bananas is that You know, we talk a lot about like, okay, don't eat unpasteurized soft cheeses in pregnancy. Don't eat this. Don't do this, right? There's all of these rules, which they all make sense and there's all reasons for them. And, you know, that's a topic for another time. But we have all these rules because we care about pregnancy outcomes, right? Well, one of the, the, you know, elements of our lives that we have the most data on in pregnancy and, and its implications for pregnancy is stress. Mm-hmm. We have robust data that stress increases the risk of blood pressure issues, low birth weight, preterm birth. And then, and you're probably aware of this, there is lots of you know emerging evidence about the role of stress in our children's long-term health, comes, health outcomes, including their mental health. Mm -hmm. So we, we know that this is a real thing and it's, it's much more present than say something like listeria, which is the reason why we don't eat unpasteurized, you know, um, soft cheeses in pregnancy. So we have a healthcare system that has so many gaps in it, in the preparation and moving through pregnancy, right? We're just like, you know what, if you have a question, a pregnancy question, like you're just going to have to figure that out on Google. You don't have access Mm -hmm. to an expert. You, you know, there's, there's so many different sources of information. So that's what happens. We have a healthcare system with all of these gaps in the support as people move through the reproductive journey. So they're going onto the internet to fill these gaps, but the internet <laughs> to fill gaps in your healthcare is almost like using, you know, scotch tape on a bridge. Okay. Nice.
1: It's I love, more I love dangerous than it is helpful.
0: Yes. And I love scotch tape. Google's great. But for this, for these gaps, it just oftentimes increases the stress. Yes. And so people are looking for a relief in the stress. They're looking for the right answer, but then they just get overwhelmed with information. And it's this vicious cycle.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's one
0: of the main things. It's just, we have a healthcare system that just says, you know what, we're going to just basically make sure that, you know, your blood pressure, your weight, you know, we're, we're going to address like the bare minimum and all of the other stuff is kind of a, a, that's a you problem, but that just increases stress. And we know that stress, we so we supposedly care about pregnancy outcomes. So it's just, a, it's a system problem, you know? So right. that's one of the main things, but there's a lot of other stuff.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I don't know if you're familiar with like Dr. Beatrice Beebe, but she does a lot of research on infant, like parent attachments and parental stress and infant temperament. And she just came out with a study that talks about how when you looked that, she was looking at like maternal COVID related postnatal stress. Yeah. And like also just whether you had COVID or not, there were some, a bunch of different variables. I'm probably going to botch the study, but I'll Put a link to the show notes, but this idea that like they looked at like having COVID versus yeah. basically being stressed because of the pandemic, and it like having COVID did not impact yeah. infant temperament, but yeah. parental stress did, yeah. and it's like we we yeah. know this, yeah, but we also don't we 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 need to look at the fact that like okay, this is probably true before a pandemic, but after well, during yeah. and after a pandemic too, this idea that like we have so many stressors as parents that, yes. I mean, we always have, cause there's a systemic problem with, yeah. um, parent, a lack of parental support. Yeah. Um, it sounds like not just in, you know, not just postpartum, but really during the pregnancy. I mean, oh, I think people feel as though they get more care in pregnancy than yeah. they ever do postpartum, For but, sure. it, but it's still not adequate.
0: And that's still not enough. That's the thing is, it's like, you get a lot, you do get a lot of visits but it's still But they're right.
1: short and it's more about like get just kind of – does it feel like it's like more checking certain things off of a list than it is about meeting the patient where they're at?
0: You know, there are certain things that you – there are certain things that need to be done at each visit. And when you only have 10 minutes, oftentimes the, the necessary stuff that's just like, we just need to make sure you're okay,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: takes up the entire 10 minutes. And you right. have to understand that some people are going to 100% require more than 10 minutes – right because they have a they have something really devastating happen and so that means that you have to make up that time somewhere else and so there's you know some patients will be like why my doctor just rushed in and rushed out you 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 had the unlucky experience of being the one that they needed to catch up because they were 2 hours behind it's it's just an awful system and it yeah. really at the end of the, it's not any individual person or providers you know lack It's an entire systemic lack that then is just a reflection of why do we have a lack of parental support afterwards? It's all a reflection of the same thing. We Mm -hmm. just don't really care, um, or the people in power, especially in the United States, don't care enough to address
1: these issues. Right. And it's like they say they do, but then when they actually have to, you know, enact legislature to support it, like, you know paid family leave and, you know, child care being somewhat universal. And like, you know, how are the these are the stressors that are leading to poor mental health outcomes in parents, but also challenges for child development because we are interconnected. Our kids and uh, like parental stress is an, is a predictor of poor outcomes in the family system and in the children, because we're, we, we don't, we're not siloed. We are exactly. a web, we are an interconnected unit. And so when one person in the family is under some type of distress, everybody is to some degree. Yes. Um, so, and similarly, if you support one, if you support a parent through a postpartum experience, Yes, You're supporting the whole family, everyone benefits. So just as much Uh, as it's it's a,
0: it's a good news, bad news situation, mm -hmm. you know, exactly. Yeah. And that's why, you know, to me, it's like, if we aren't addressing stress and trying to conceive and pregnancy, we have, you know, by the time you're in it with kids and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're drowning at that point, you know, in, in just in, in this stress and this lack of support. So it's, um you know, it's a real problem. And at the same time, we've got everybody saying, just, just engage in self-care. And, (laughs) you know, that's like, you, you know, I find it, it can be so frustrating for people who are like, how, what do you, what do you mean? How a lot of it, it just ends up being, um, you know, more, more stress on, Mm -hmm. again, oftentimes that primary parent like, oh, you need to find a, a solution to this. And we're not looking at, you know, the 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 bigger picture of, of right. why are people being put in this situation? Can we address it sooner?
1: Yeah. And I think you bring up, but also a very good point. So like, okay, we have this broken system, but it's not going to change anytime soon. Exactly. So what can we do beyond asking every individual person Yeah. To try to figure it out themselves and, you know, patch up the gaps with scotch tape, you know, or like a bubble bath because it's not going to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I can only address the, 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 there's a, a big pie here and I can address my piece of this pie in the way that I see that I can help. And Mm -hmm. so What I did when I left the healthcare system is I said, "Okay, let's look at what's the what's the mental load of pregnancy look like. Let's get it all onto a piece of paper and just write out. Okay, you're worried about birth. You're worried about taking care of your baby. You're worried about what do I actually need to buy. You're worried about if you have other children. Are my children going to be prepared for this? Um, You know, there's the quiet worries. Am I good enough?" Am I am I going to be a good enough mom? So I got all of those. I, I kind of mapped out the mental load of pregnancy mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, how do I design a system that that directly addresses these components of the mental load, these questions and concerns mm-hmm. in a way that not not only addresses them once they get there, but hopefully, actually prevents them from ever being added to the mental load because I'm going to answer the question before it gets there. So that was, the, that was the inspiration for my membership Sterling Parents. So we take people from the beginning of trying to conceive and we say, hey, here's like, this is all the emotional stuff and the, the physical stuff and all the stuff that comes up in trying to conceive, we're going to guide you through that. And then the same thing happens in pregnancy. So, you know, an example is people get really nervous about that. What genetic screening option should I choose? Oh, my fetal anatomy ultrasound is coming up. What does that look like? I have to do my gestational diabetes screen. And what we do is we, we send you the, the content, say, Hey, you're, you know, you're, 22 weeks, your gestational diabetes screen is coming up. Watch this video. We're going to talk about what it's going to be like, what you can do to prepare. So they don't even ever have to go, oh, maybe I should Google that and look that up. Like that never gets added to your mental load. Mm-hmm. And then as you get closer to delivery, you know, we have all of the birth preparation built into the membership. And then we have a lovely pediatrician who comes in and teaches you about your newborn. And we have our lactation consultant who teaches you, uh, you know, the basics of breastfeeding. And then we have a course. That follows you the that entire first year, and each month you get new content saying, "Hey, you're probably get your baby's probably going to start teething. There's a sleep regression. Let's talk about this stuff." So it all comes to you before it actually gets added to the mental load, mm-hmm. and we have live community too. The Sterly Pearlies are a community, so we get together <laughs> on Zoom and we have happy hour, and we just you know, we just share our life experiences as moms and as, you know, as pregnant people and all of it. So that, so that's how I have addressed my piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, there's so much else that goes into that, you know, child, you know, having actual childcare for people and the stuff like boots on the ground is important, but that's how I, that's the solution that I, (laughs) you know, You're not going to
1: go take on every single thing. I really want to. (laughs) but, but you got to do one thing well, right. Yeah. <laughs> like just, yeah, good, yeah, And I think that that's kind of, yeah, that's very in keeping with the message I kind of share with parents, right? Like just, don't just focus on doing one thing at a time. Like yeah. you are not, you can't do everything. And I love that advice. It's kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> For you and me too. I think we need to I have
0: something it. that I think will, that might be helpful to your, to your listeners that I it's, it's, Advice that I um, give uh, to my, my pregnant members, but I, it, I, I really, I use this as a parent all the time too. So I have this little bowl, I call it my becoming bowl. Mm-hmm. And I have these little um, attributes that I hope to live up to as a parent. So patience, presence, those kind of things in a bowl. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I'm having a difficult day, I will pull a word and I'll say, this is the thing. I'm just going to focus on this one word today. So today, you know, it's a difficult day and I feel like I want to fix the situation, right? I had a, I have a um, almost three-year-old who was having trouble at school and we had to move his class and it was really a very challenging experience. And so it's pulling that word and saying, okay, you know what, today I'm just going to focus on, I have fun in there. I have an adventure in there. Just going to focus on patience and, you know, another day I might pull fun. And so that's what I lean into that day. Mm. And I'm like, I'm going to be 2% better at the fun today. I'm going to be 2% better at the patience today. And so that just allows me to think, you know what? I don't have to worry about all the other attributes that I want to be as a mom. This is the one I'm going to focus on.
1: I love that. And I think that really speaks to this like, okay, we could sit here and talk about all the mental lobe. We can list all the horrible things that we yeah. have to keep track of and why it's so terrible. but like we also want to like balance that with like, okay, so what do we do about it? Exactly. And this is a very good example, both because it's it's grounding and centering and and you know, validating, but from like a total cognitive standpoint, you can't focus yeah on. 17 things if you're focusing on one thing exactly it's like kind of like in you know when we're working with anxiety like when I'm treating anxiety and you you get these like really intense ruminative like Mm -hmm. oh my god my head like my brain the thoughts are racing and like you know what if what if what if what if what if so a lot of times what we'll do in if you're experiencing that is we teach you to like okay focus on a word a thought a thing you know you know focus on a Glass, like look at all the different, you know, qualities yeah. of this. Like, you just get to focus really intently on one thing. And that mindful focus on a singular object or thought or feeling or texture, whatever, doesn't matter what it is, it's just you're putting your mind on some one thing. It turns out it's just you can't do both.
0: Yeah. You, yeah. So, I think the power of our attention. Yes. You know, the brain, I I nerd out on the brain because I, that's what I studied in undergrad. (laughs)
1: Love, love brain.
0: (laughs) I nerd out. I always, I always thought I was going to go into psychiatry or neurology. And then I just fell in love with OBGYN. It's just so funny how things work out, but it's that attention, you know, it's the, and that's the thing I, and I, I bring my, this is something that I, a little pearl that I talk about all the time with my members is intention plus attention is what I fall back on as a parent. Okay. My intention is to make my children feel heard. And I'm just going to pay attention to when I do that. And when I don't do that and have some curiosity about myself and when I'm able to do that and when I'm not. And then it's like, I love that. It's the trial and error, like scientist perspective of parenting. It makes it so much more fun. You're like, <laughs> hey, we're going to go to the park and we're going to see how this goes. Like, is this going to work out? I don't know. Let's try it
1: out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's really funny. But I, I'm thinking too, like, okay, so one of the things that we can do to sort of challenge the mental load yeah. is notice what we're focusing on. Notice what we're putting our attention on. Kind of what you were talking about earlier is preparation, yeah. How do we anticipate things that could become stressors or worries or feel like a load? And so if we can sort of forecast a little bit yeah. and sort of look look ahead of ourselves a little bit, not in like a, I'm obsessing about the future, kind of stuck in the future kind of anxiety way, but like a, okay, I'm right here right now. Tomorrow I will likely be here. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be here. You know, what yeah. What do I want to anticipate, prepare for? Yeah. We know that preparation reduces anxiety. What are other things that like we can do either as perhaps the primary parent or maybe like more on like a societal level um, that can reduce the mental load? Whether it's, you know, in in trying to conceive, in carrying a child, in parenting a, you know, a family. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: one of the things, and again, I, you know, you'll see the addicted to the big picture thing is like, <laughs> is, is a theme. So one of the things that I think is a, a perspective that can help the, the the primary parent is sometimes we think that in order to be a good mom, we have to make all the right decisions. Okay. So we put a lot of pressure on the decisions and that's where the researching you know, comes into play a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that the person who is the researcher in the family, family who like looks things up and whatever, that is a significant job. Okay. Trying to figure out, you know, read the parenting books and find the parenting experts and all of that. That's a significant job. So it's the research is important, but understanding that um, it's not so much that if I make all the right decisions, I'm a good mom, but If I believe I'm a good mom and I lean into my strengths as a human being and I lean into the fact that I am good and I love my children, I will make the right decisions.
1: Oh, I love that so much. That is like such an articulate way of trying to describe like my whole goal as a parenting support person (laughs) is to be like, it's I because I feel like I get so many requests for people to be like, well, what do I say? in this situation? What do I say yeah. here? What do I yeah. do here? And, and I, I frustrate people a lot when yeah. I'm like, well, it depends. Like I don't yeah. have a script for you. Um, but I can give you some kind of context for how yeah. you might personally like, think about how to make sense of what you're seeing. And that might inform your decision and might inform what you say, but like, I'm a big fan of like frameworks over scripts because totally. for this exact reason is because I think when we feed parents a ton of answers and a ton of scripts, what we're doing is we're reinforcing this messaging. Yes. The right answers are out there. You just have to study enough and memorize yes. enough of them and you'll get yes. it right eventually. Instead yes. of saying like, there are no right answers. What you really need is to feel like you have a way of connecting to your kid and understanding the cues that they're communicating most of the time, some of the time, and that you don't have to get it right all the time. So
0: here's, (laughs) I love that you said that. And here is an example that kind of illustrates that point from my own life. So I have a, a, a kindergartner and she's the a classic first child. I'm a first child. So we're, <laughs> I recognize a lot of myself in her. She gets really stressed out in the morning doing all of the things. And I am not a detail-oriented person. I'm not even a particularly organized person. So, you know, I would see a lot of people talking about the, you know, all of the things that they do to organize and get ready their kid ready for school. And I'm like, well, that is really hard for me. What am I good at? Okay. I'm really good at, I'm great at entertaining and creating special moments. Like I'm the one who does the vacations for the family and like the birthday parties and I can craft really special moments. So what if I look at our morning time and her getting ready for school as a special moment? And the, the theme, the vibe is, It's it's calm. (laughs) How can I craft the the morning as a as a moment, thinking of it like an event? And then that you that utilizes my creativity to say, oh, I can do this before she wakes up, and I can have you know her breakfast made when she wakes up and I can do this. And so I'm not putting this pressure on, gosh, everybody else you know, Christine is more organized than you are and has all these checklists and you don't do it that way. So I lean in to my strengths as a human being when I'm faced with parenting challenges. And I also have this fundamental belief that our children are our soulmates. So if I Mm -hmm. lean into my strengths and my values as a human being, I'm going to be in alignment with them. And it, it really has been the thing that... Coming from somebody who was a very determined, work ethic, type A person before I kind of entered parenting, that belief, my, ch- my children are my soulmates, I just have to lean into my strengths, has been the biggest weight off my shoulders.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's such a beautiful way of thinking about it. And it, to me, it kind of reminds me of this idea that like if we trust, like we, we can trust, our kids are who they are from the minute that they're born. Like we're not filling up an empty vessel, right? That There's such a huge (laughs) pressure on us if we think that that's our job. If we think our job is to craft a human being and we better not mess it up, geez, what what a responsibility. But like, no, like our kids are exactly who they're supposed to be. Our job is to be a detective, not a sculptor, like a curious observer, like, Ooh, tell me who you're going to be. Tell me who you are today. Take so much pressure off. Like our job is really to create a safe environment for them to show us who they are. And that's a lot easier to do.
0: Exactly. I love that you said that. And you know, we, our job is not to fix them. They are not problems to be fixed, but it feels like that. And I really think that sometimes social media really fe- makes it feel like, Oh, you better p- fix the bot, the potty training issue. You oh, better right. fix all of this. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's if your child is having a, a challenging time, you are a consistent support and you may kind of mold the way that they interact with the world over time but it's not like in this moment i have to fix this issue it's like okay you know they have they are you know shy and so over time i have to consistently model to them that you know you're safe etc you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. just this um this pressure on each tantrum to to fix them is it's so
1: overwhelming and it's not accurate right it's It's just really not accurate like that's not how child development works, right? We're not that fragile if we were that fragile as human beings, we would be pretty screwed right that yes. if, if, <laughs> if our parents said the one thing wrong or did one thing wrong in a single interaction that like our attachment systems would be completely you know de- derailed, like we yeah. wouldn't be a robust. You know, yeah, species, but yeah. we we are we, we we're are. doing okay, yeah, not yeah, fantastic yeah. sometimes, but <laughs> but but I think you know, I feel like people are starting to learn a little bit more about attachment relationships yeah. and the power that they hold and the priority we want to make them. Yeah. but I do think people misunderstand. They, they misperceive a, a fragility about attachment systems that I don't think is actually there. Is it important that we learn about them and understand how to support secure attachment? Absolutely. That's like the whole reason I have a podcast about yeah, it, exactly. because I want to teach people how to know what's important and how to do it. But like, it's not that fragile. Yeah. We don't have to beat ourselves up for every single decision.
0: And the brain is constantly adapting and learning and changing both our children's brains and our own yeah and yeah. so we, you know the idea that there's of course there's, there's certain things that can happen in life that can set off trajectories major traumas etc but really you know w- major traumas aside a lot of it is just consistent a consistent environment that is not always perfect that, you know, the, these are our children's brains are so adaptable. And so, I mean, it's just the the development of the, the human brain, at, both in children and adults, is just the most fascinating topic I think there yeah. is on the planet. <laughs> I
1: agree. I mean, we could do a whole other episode and maybe we should about like the way the brain changes in pregnancy because I love that. I'm, I'm so obsessed so with talking about that because I think, you know, a lot of like, you know, we talk about preparation for things that are coming down the pike. Like a lot of parents are really thrown. They know they're going to have like hormonal changes and their body's going to change, but they don't realize how much their brain changes. Yes. Yes. And it's profound, like in a good way, but it's, it's also really challenging. You have to adapt really, really quickly. It's almost like a third. It's like, you know, you have, I always say like toddlers and teenagers are very similar because they're, Brains are under construction. Yeah. <laughs> and like so are new moms. <laughs> like yes. it's like the third brain recon like brain construction time in our life.
0: And the interesting thing about, you know, about the brain is that we we give ourselves um we think that we are in control of our thoughts and so much more than we are. <laughs> you know what I mean, Like we think that we are under conscious control of like the things that we think and the, you know, where our attention goes. And so much of that is subconscious mm-hmm. and we have a moment once it arrives in our consciousness where we have more agency, but we give our, we are so hard on ourselves about the, just the random things that fire off in our brain yeah. And, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that. What kind of person thinks that? You know, that happens yeah. all the time with um, scary thoughts postpartum. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my gosh, I must be, there must be something wrong with me. This, you know, we 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 assign so much weight and we don't understand that like our our brain is so much more complex than, than we even, than we understand, that we're yes. aware of.
1: Yes. No, it's interesting. Like, I think it's also... I mean, I didn't even know, like postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD. Yeah. Like people don't know as much about those, those PMADs. PMAD is a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, but people just think, oh, postpartum depression. Yep. But there's like eight, maybe perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that you can have, maybe more. Like it's not just postpartum depression. And I think people don't realize that those scary thoughts, those like, you know, intrusive images of, you know, you dropping your baby down the stairs or like really like I used to, I remember when my son was born, I had postpartum anxiety and I would get these, like, I'd be walking down the street and I would literally picture in my head, like someone grabbing him and running away. Like, it, like, and I, I'm not an anxious. I'm not an anxious person at baseline. Like I'm a pretty low anxiety person. Yeah. And I was so anxious when I had my son. And I was like, where is all of this anxiety coming from? Like I get it. Like I'm a new mom. But like, why are these? Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm worried. It was like, yep, really intrusive thoughts. Yep. That were I really disturbing. And I
0: also, I'm not an anxious person either. I made we we live um, in San Diego. We live by some cliffs on the beach. And, um, we went for a walk and with my husband and I had, you know, it was my second had just been born and my oldest and my, my husband were over kind of closer to the water. And I could not get out of my head that Celeste was going to fall into the water and that I was going to forget I was wearing Oliver and jump in after her. I couldn't uh-huh. get it out of my head. Uh-huh. And I was like, this makes no sense, hon, no sense, but we have to leave. Cause I cannot, I can't be this close to the cliffs. And it was the straight, it was such a strange experience, you know? And that's the thing is, it's not like none of us want, you didn't want to think about that. I didn't want to think about that. It wasn't a, it's very much this, our brain is going through such massive changes because in order for you to go from really just focus on your own survival to now focusing so much of your time and energy and resources on another person's survival, your brain has to change in order for that to happen. So oftentimes the brain really overshoots it and says, "I'm going to make you think that you're dying." (laughs) This child (laughs) cries, so that you will attend to this child's cry. So our brain overshoots, yeah, and then for when it when it goes accordingly, we'll then kind of reel it back in, and then we'll find a steady state. But boy, does you know our brain overshoot a lot of the time,
1: right? And some, and I think it's very important for parents to understand that that's really normal. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it that's happening. We can, we can, we can, you know, diagnose it, right? Sometimes yeah. it's not even clinical, like yeah. it's subclinical postpartum anxiety, but sometimes it's clinical postpartum anxiety and that's treatable. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, whether it's going to therapy or, you know, medication management or simply just getting support, right? Yeah. It doesn't always have, there's, there's, there's. Gr- layers, right? You don't have to go take meds if that's not what you want to do.
0: And we have a mindfulness program. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and that's where I love to s- send people who are like, yeah, I talked to, uh, you know, I talked to my doctor, we're thinking about medication, but we're going to hold off for now. And we're like, go to go to the mindfulness program. Just mm-hmm. that alone. You know, there's such good evidence on mindfulness for depression and anxiety. I'm yes. a huge, I, I, I love mindfulness and meditation. It's like a superpower as a parent.
1: Yeah. It's so funny, like I prescribe it, I'm saying in quotes, like prescribe it to my patients all the time as like a treatment, adjunctive treatment for their anxiety and depression. And I'm like... Sitting at home, being like, I know I'm supposed to meditate. <laughs> I never do it, and I this is like my. You know, we're recording this like January 2023. I'm like, this is my New Year's resolution. Is <laughs> I hate New Year's resolutions too, but I'm like, I've got to build in time in my schedule to actually meditate because I just know how good it is for me. Like I know yeah. I've got the data.
0: The data is so cool. I mean, the, the data in. on it's mindfulness. A decrease in all-cause mortality. What? Decrease in cancer. Longer lifespan. What? This is what I'm saying. Like, if we we are ignoring the fact that, like, we have all the data on stress, right? That it's bad for our health, blah, blah, blah. But then look at things like mindfulness. And this, if there was a pill that did this, improved satisfaction with parenting, there was a pill that did this, y'all, we would be paying... $1,000 a month for this pill, but I get it. It's like, it's time, right? It's time. It's right. a difficult habit to get into, but, um, yeah, I, I love, and that's why programs that are kind of set up that you don't have to like figure it out on your own are so nice, you know, the apps and books yeah. and all of that.
1: Yeah. No, I love it. I, I, I think mindfulness practices, and it doesn't need to be sitting in like Zen meditation no. either. Like mm-hmm. mindfulness can, you could mindfully take a shower. In fact, I always tell people my favorite, like go to, this is my starter mindfulness exercise is mindful toothbrushing because you're going to do it every day. Yeah. It's only three minutes, like yeah, maybe not even, yeah. and there's, it's such a sensory rich experience. Yeah that it's a really easy thing to kind of do with full mindful awareness. Yeah. So like I just say get into the habit of doing even even if you only do one of the your toothbrushing sessions mindfully. Yeah. Like that's a that's 3 minutes a day. That's really actually pretty good.
0: That's incredible. And it's, you know, it's habit it's building a habit. I do it with I do mindful mindfulness meditations when playing with my kids. So I will set um, a timer for like 15 minutes. I will then put my phone in another room and I will get on the ground. I have little kids, you know, obviously if you have a 13 year old, (laughs) they might be like, okay, mom, you can, (laughs) I get on the ground with them where they're playing and I, just try to be in the present moment. I and I just soak them up. I watch their little mannerisms. I look I I notice things like their eyelashes and the color of their eye and their hair and just like, "Oh my gosh, does my, and this is why I think mindfulness is such a parenting superpower and why why we emphasize it inside Sterling parents so much because the the hard stuff in parenting is so freaking loud. Okay. It's like the blowout diaper, the screaming tantrum, the, like the, the tood from the kindergartner, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the beautiful stuff is oftentimes so quiet. And when you're in that present moment, you just, you notice like their little fat on their wrist, their little like chubby wrist. And I I'll notice, um, my, my toddler, the way he puts his hand, like rests his hand on his face. And that is, it's those moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm being filled back up. Yeah. So the loud stuff drains me and I, I'm v- a very sensory auditory person. So I get really easily overwhelmed with noise. And so that can be really draining. But when I then say, okay, I've had a really draining day with the kids. And sometimes I just want to book it and like throw them in bed and go upstairs. But sometimes what actually helps is, is being present with them. Because then I just get all of this love and beautiful oxytocin flowing when I just, observe them and that's a mindfulness meditation that is your meditation practice it is and
1: you know what's kind of amazing about that because i actually tell my patients to do that too i tell them um to watch their hands watch their child's hands for 10 minutes while they're playing yeah and it's this amazing exercise in like not not, you have to sit on your own hands. So you have to watch your child's hands. So you just, for 10 minutes, you're just going to kind of, and your mind will wander, but then you try to bring it back to the hands. And just but watching them solve problems with their hands.
0: I love that.
1: Like you are going to feel so much, I don't know. You feel so connected to your kid when you do that. But here's the reason why I tell parents to do it. Um, Obviously, because of all the reasons it's good for the parent. But it fills up the kid, yeah. and it's a a way to fill up your kid without entertaining them. Yep. Right, like parents are like, I'm so tired. I don't want to play with my kids at the end of a long day of work, and I'm like, I don't want to play. I don't want to do that either. Oh, yeah. Like oh, i don't blame, blame you. I don't ever play right. With my kids. I know. I'm only observing. My kids. I am I'm like an the observing. about it. <laughs> but what I do do is I sit with them. Yeah. Yeah, here, You know, yeah. and I watch their hands or I will, you know, I, but it's like, it is an exercise in meditation. It is yes. really hard to do, yes. but, and my mind totally wanders. It wanders to the, all the mental load, right. To the yep. Amazon list that I have to like, make sure I, oh, I got to add this. Uh, they yes. you know, oh wait, we're <laughs> out of that glue. I need to put that on the list. And then what's, what do we have to get at the grocery store? And what am I packing in? the? So I will go to those places. And then I bring it back to like, okay, just, just notice observe without judgment and then bring it back to the hands and it fills up your kids too so like and it, which is going to reduce the power struggles and the the testing behaviors and like exactly. the, the just agitation. You, are, you
0: see me i don't have to scream you yeah. see me you know yeah yeah Yeah.
1: so and it's a other- double it's a twofer.
0: It is. It's a twofer. And I think one of the things that really scares people away from, from meditating is that they think that, um, that it should, that it, that it necessarily, it doesn't necessarily feel good while you're doing it. Like when you're doing it with kids, oftentimes it does, but sometimes you're going to be really distracted. And then you have to make sure that you're not going into the shame spiral of like, Oh, I can't even pay attention to my kids because the whole point of mindfulness meditation, really, mind, and meditation in general, which is focused attention, is that some of the meditations in which you are the most distracted are the most powerful in building that muscle. Because when you bring your attention back to that singular focus 30 times or more in a 15 minute period, you are exercising that muscle so much. So you might yeah. not feel great during the meditation but you will your brain will benefit from that exercise. It's the same thing as like, you know, getting on a bike or going yeah. for a run. It doesn't It's like you did 30 reps. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: If you bring your attention back 30 times you can look at it as, oh God, I got distracted 30 times. Or you can look at it as like, I just did 30 reps. Like 30 I reps, had-
0: exactly. exactly. I love that way. Of, I'm going to use that. I love that way of looking at it. It's 30 reps. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Look at how strong is, you are
1: though. Yeah. You know, you just did a high intensity train. Like it was a hit. That was a hit exercise. It was like a, <laughs> it was a long, slow walk. <laughs> I love that it. was really easy. It. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny because I did an episode um, with Diana Winston, who is who does a lot of mindfulness research at UCLA. And we talked a lot about the metaphor of mindfulness and, and exercise and how they're, they're like you, they're really similar concepts that yes. it's just like an exercise for your brain and that endurance and that building up that the ability to like go for longer periods of time. And it's a muscle.
0: It's a muscle and it's an, inc- it's, it's an incredible gift as a parent to work mm-hmm. that muscle and, you know, just in life in general. But, you know, our so much of our um, our children's brains are just they are our brain is really modeling for their brain that, you know, if you get when you get down to it, the way that our brain is wired is the way that we are going to kind of teach our children to wire their brain. Yes. So if we can wire our brain and do these exercises um, for for ourselves, we are also going to be you know instilling that in our children. So yeah. when I'm driving the kids to school, we have a long drive to school, which isn't you know the greatest, but um, I'm always pointing out, oh, you know, what a look at these big puffy clouds. Look at this, you know. I'm I'm bringing as I'm bringing myself into the present moment because I like to do mindful driving, you know, and not get into, oh my gosh, driving can be so stressful when you start thinking about all the things. Oh God, so I like to do mindful driving and I, I do it out loud with my kids. So I'm like, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. And we're, we're Jewish. So we say Baruch Hashem. We say, thank, thank God, you know, look at all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it, it's really just a lovely way. It's like having a, a family value of presence and mindfulness yeah. is, um, you know, it's just a, a lovely way to be and feel in your life,
1: yeah, all right. so kind of recapping we talked about the need to prepare, right how how having not getting crazy anxious about the future, but like having a little bit of a preview so you know what's it coming and then ahead couple <laughs> steps ahead so that you but so that you feel confident and prepared yes um, and also, that you can tolerate some of the uncertainty as well. so yeah. I think that there's a piece that, that there's two sides to that coin, right? Yes. Preparation for what we can prepare for and tolerance that there's going to be a lot we won't be able to and that that's okay.
0: hundred percent. And then we're gonna, just going to trial and error it.
1: Yeah. and that, that's We're going to the be second curious thing. about what's going to work. Right. Which is the second thing we talked about, which is like not needing everything to be perfect, not putting so much pressure on ourselves to have every single answer to make every moment a teachable moment or like a whatever. Like sometimes it's messy yeah. and that's okay. But that if we kind of understand the big stuff. It's yeah. going to guide us in the little stuff and yeah. versus being obsessive about the little stuff because we're so worried that we're going to mess up all the big stuff. Right. Like I love the way you put that of like, you know, leaning into who you are as a parent and what your strengths are and letting that help you make the decisions yeah. versus the other way around. Yeah. And then we kind of landed on this huge piece of like mindfulness and presence and just sort of slowing down and and paying attention to what we're paying attention to. Yeah. And I love that. And I think those are all in very, very different ways things that do combat the mental load of parenthood and kind of buck the system a little bit and say, like, you do not need to, like, you know, be a pawn or a what's the word? You don't need to be dependent on this system to save you. Like, you can do things. It
0: should be better,
1: but it's not. So we're going to just deal with it as it is, (laughs) you
0: know, but I, you know, I think that understanding that it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you have this incredible mental load. It should, it really shouldn't be this way. I think that we, it's so easy to imagine a much better system, right? But that's not what we have but at least just acknowledging the reason why I think it's so important to acknowledge that the system itself is broken is so that we don't put the pressure on individuals. Like, Oh, this is a you problem. No, you are existing in a very broken system that does not adequately support you. You know, okay, not your fault, but let's talk about what you can do to actually live a joyful life in this, in this broken system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think finding the right support system, like finding access to vetted information, you know, I do, like, I do think, you know, the, the parenting space, the, it's saturated, there's a lot of noise out there. It's really overwhelming. And so I, you know, you don't, and a lot, and a lot of people have really good information that's not, that contradicts (laughs) it, the other person's really good information. Yeah. So it's like, it's okay to just find like one or two voices that feel aligned to you exactly. and just turn the rest off. Like you don't need all of the information. You just need what you need right now. And you need to feel just like our kids. Like we were talking about how our kids don't actually need us to be perfect all the time. They just need someone to be this sort of like stable, yeah. reassuring anchor yeah. that, that is trustworthy. Like, we need that. We yes. as parents need that. So we just need <laughs> exactly. to find like a safe place where we know we're going to get reliable information. And we don't have to have 50 of those.
0: No, no. And you, I mean, that is, you're going to get into analysis paralysis and decision right. fatigue. It's And that's
1: the problem with like social media is y- your feed is going to throw 50 different people at you. Yes. And you have to figure out how to get off of that. Like... That, it's not a windmill. What is the word I'm looking for? That carousel? Well, it's
0: this, it's this idea that we have to, in order to make a good decision, we have to gather all the information and then arrive at a decision and the, but we get stuck in the gathering all the information yes. it's just too much. So, you know, I, I. We, one of the things that we teach inside Sterling Parents is something called the combative decision framework, which is how physicians, you know, physicians, we, you notice, we don't just like order pan CT scans and all of the labs and everything on everybody. You can't do that or else you, you're, you get lost with all the information. You, you can't prioritize what's important.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: you know, what I tell the, my, my members to do is, okay, first, just ask yourself the question. When you ask yourself the question, you'll identify a missing piece of information that you need, and that's the missing piece that you go and you find the, the evidence-based, expert-based resource that can fill that missing piece, if it happens to be a, a piece of knowledge that you're missing.
1: And right. you don't
0: have to listen to your neighbor and their parenting advice, or your mom and her parenting advice, or, you know, an influencer and how, and how they do it. You can just you know, you can just listen to an expert.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of experts, if people want to learn more about what you're doing and how to like get your expertise, how can they do that?
0: So uh, you can learn more about Sterling Parents at sterlingparents.com. And then I am on Instagram and TikTok and both handles are the same. It's at Dr. Sterling OBGYN.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll link all that in the show notes, but I'm, oh, it was delightful talking with you. I really love, I love, it's so cool when I meet people who are like in a different field, but obviously like different, but adjacent, but like yeah. where our training is so different, you know, like the things that we studied in graduate school, so different. And yet here we are kind of like in such alignment on these things that like, cause you know, it's just cool. It's yeah, just so it's just fun. Aside,
0: it's different, it's different angles and perspectives looking at the human condition, right? We're yeah. both addressing the human condition and we just do it from slightly different angles, but there's so much overlap too. I know.
1: It's really cool. It's really cool. So thank you so much for of taking course. the time. Of course. As we were just discussing, being able to anticipate what's coming and feeling prepared can significantly reduce our anxiety and stress. When you are already in the thick of it, sometimes it can feel daunting to take that first step. And that is why I advise expecting parents, in addition to creating a birth plan, to create a postpartum plan as well. And that's exactly why I created a mental health postpartum checklist and made it completely free, because I want all new and expecting parents to have access to it. This interactive checklist and workbook will walk you through everything you need for establishing your personalized physical and emotional support systems throughout your postpartum. You can feel more confident and relaxed knowing you have all your ducks in a row and have a game plan for whatever your new little duckling brings. So to download my mental health postpartum checklist, go to my website, drsarahbren.com and click the resources tab. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash resources. This is also a great resource to share with any friend you have or a family member who's expecting now. Thanks for listening and don't be a stranger.